Have you noticed how you can go to the same place again and again, and every once in a while you'll go, huh, I don't remember when that changed, and it looks different than the last time? And so maybe you're thinking about when you were, um, if you were to go back to your high school, you'd be like, oh, when did they do that? I was here and it looked like this, and maybe it's just a fresh coat of paint or whatever. Or maybe if you're in high school, you went to your middle school, you noticed something different. Or if you're in middle school, you went to your elementary school, and if you're in your and in elementary school today, I want to know why you're still in here, because it's way more fun there than here. Um, but, but have you noticed how you can go to certain places and you just see them differently this next time than you did the first time? And so here's what I mean. Um, maybe for those of us who drive to work, uh, you notice you pass the same houses and businesses and gas stations and factories every single day, right? Every once in a while, you will pass something and go, huh, when did that happen? Right? When did they repaint that building? Or when did they build that house? Or when did they, because we're in such a routine that we continue to go down this road and we never notice the change or the transformation. Right? I drive down the same road every single day to come here. And every once in a while, I'll go for a run or go for a walk with my wife and I'll go, I never noticed that before. And it's the same place and it's probably not even new, but you begin to slow down and see differently. Because the speed at which I'm normally traveling is I'm in a hurry and I want to get there and so I'm not paying attention to the little things. But if you're walking or running, it's much slower than you can drive. And so you begin to see other things around you. And so I was thinking about how you see the same thing with fresh eyes. Over and over again, we could talk about this and you all probably know one of these things, but one of the things that my wife does that I'm, I'm trying to embrace, it's a great trait of hers, um, when like she's driving and someone cuts her off, um, my reaction is, is not necessarily the best one. Like, we're in a hurry. You shouldn't do that. I'm prob- I might have hit my horn occasionally. I try not to do it near the church because I don't want to do that and then pull in here, right? Like, that's probably not a great thing on a Monday morning. Um, buy them all? Probably didn't. No. Um, but my wife has started to try to do this thing where she goes, well, they're probably having a worse day than me. And so she makes up these stories in her head about their day, right? So they, maybe they lost their job or they're going to be late to work and they're going to lose their job. Or maybe they lost someone in their family. And so these great sympathetic stories. And she goes, well, I just must be having a better day than they are. I wish I went to that place. I'm trying to do that. Um, but she just assumes their day must be worse than hers. And therefore, she responds in a better way. So why am I saying all this? Here's why. Our perception shapes our reality. What we see, the way we see it, shapes how we understand the world around us. From the perspective we see will dictate how we see the world. That phrase, probably not that surprising to you. In fact, you probably would embrace that as true. But what if there was a way we could actually see the world differently? What if we could see the world differently? What if, what if, what if, what if there's a way we could begin to see opportunities to love people as the way in which we viewed the world? What if that was our default place instead of our default place of frustration or irritation or aggravation? What if the default was people or opportunities to love rather than whatever else you may see? Right, so one of the things that I used to love to do, and probably still do if I'm honest, but I love to like people watch. There are places that are fascinating for that, right? It used to be like the mall, like the Walmart's great for that. I mean, like you just see all kinds of stuff and you, all kinds of things run through my mind. Some of them appropriate, some of them inappropriate. Like, what, they left the house in that? I'm going to buy them more clothing. No, um, 
whatever it is that runs through your mind. And so I, I've got to be honest with you, if I'm not careful, your mind can go to places that it shouldn't go. And you can see them as people that you shouldn't see them as. In fact, if we're not careful, we can see them as go. We can make up whole stories for them that aren't loving or gracious or kind. And so one of the things I've started to notice is that the more I come to know Jesus, the more his spirit begins to shape my life, I begin to see differently. I begin to understand people differently. In fact, what I find becomes true. My perception shapes reality, and I see differently. What about you? What are the places you go, and you live, and you work? What are the places that might, what might happen if you begin to see people in a new light? What if God began to reorient your vision as well? What might happen? And this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And so we're looking at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21 in just a moment. And last week we looked at 1 Corinthians, right? So the first letter Paul writes, he's just kind of ticked. These people are messing up all kinds of stuff. Then there's a, a supposed lost letter that Paul wrote where it was like the angry letter. And then we have 2 Corinthians, which is like, hey, you're doing better. Keep it up. And so this is what Paul writes here, and he's writing it to a particular church about a particular thing, but what he's saying to them is this, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to live in these particular ways. So today, if you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus, good news for you, he's not writing to you, but there might be some things you can pick up on that might be valuable in your life regardless of that. And so what Paul begins to say is this, that if you live in a particular way, you also see the world in a particular way. So Paul cares about how we live and how we see our perception. And here's what he writes. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's so much in that. In fact, I, I was working on this message this week going, huh, it's like a good four sermons, and I got to do it in one, and so I'm sorry for all of you, um, because I could have just talked about just the idea how we would see pe people differently. We could have talked about how we're called to be new creation people, how we to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, we're to be Christ ambassadors, how Jesus became this sin offering for us. All of those things are great things, and I'll try to do it in enough time that you won't be mad at me for keeping you here too long today. But the first line is this, he says, from now on. In other words, what has gone before no longer matters. You're to see people in a new way. Previously, you saw people from a worldly perspective, right? We saw those people when we were driving and they irritated us and we thought, oh, that person, and I want to lay on my horn because they're an idiot, right? No, none of you have ever done that. I love the half of people like, 
elbowing a spouse or the person next to you. <laughs> That's you. But what if we begin to see from a new perspective? Our perception of reality shifted. What if we're called to see the world in which we live in new ways? What if our eyes are to be shaped in a new way? And in this way, we recognize this, that we're called to see from a kingdom perspective. Right? I'd say it this way. We're called to see all people as people to be loved. All people are to be seen as people Jesus died to save. What if we saw the world that way? What might happen around us? How might we respond to different situations than we previously did? And so if you're going like, okay, that sounds great, but how in the world can we do this? What if, what if this, what if our perception has so changed that we can live into a new reality? What if our perception has been so changed that we can live into a new reality? And so and then it's like, okay, well, fine, but what is this new reality? And this is the new reality that Paul writes about, that we are new creations. That we are new creations. As Paul wants the church in Corinth to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're to live as a new creation in the world in which you live. And he says you're also to live as if the new creation has come. Like, okay, what does that mean? What would happen if you and I lived as if heaven existed on earth? What if we took seriously the words of Jesus when he prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what if heaven came here? What if we lived, what if you and I lived, the perception of our reality was this, that heaven exists on earth in the midst of the hells all around us. What if we saw heaven and we lived in such a way that other people saw heaven as well? What if that was our perception? What if our perception of the world was that God's kingdom has come as the words Jesus himself spoke? What if that became our new reality that we lived from? What might happen if we began to be this? The people that Paul writes about where he says this, hear this today, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So for some of us, that's really good news. Who we have been, what we have done, what we have been a part of, like that does not have to define who we are in this moment or moving forward. It's why Paul says, you, you are a new creation. Be the new people God created you to be. Be reconciled to God. Be in right relationship. Don't live as if you have been that person any longer because through Jesus, you can literally be a new person. Be the new creations, the first fruits of what God is doing in the world. This means our past can literally be just that, our past. And it's a reminder for us, right, in, in this text that's really valuable, God has already made the first move. I mean, this is part of the good news that you and I don't have to make the first move to God. God has already made the first move to us. And he comes to us, and Jesus lived and died and rose again, so at the end of the day, you and I can enter into right relationship with God. Jesus comes to us and says, again and again, he says these kinds of things. You've heard it said, but I say to you, 
if you know me, you know my Father as well. The Father is in me, and the Father is in you because you're in me, right? He, he says all these things all throughout the Gospels. Go read the book of John. It's lots of great stuff. But the point of that is this. Sometimes we get bad pictures of who God is, I, whether it's from, honestly, most of our stuff about like heaven and hell is shaped from cartoons more than anything else, but we get bad pictures of who God is. And Jesus comes to say, Wait, do you want to know who the Father is? Let me tell you, he's me. He looks like me. So you and I are invited to come to know the one who is father of all, creator of all, lover of all, the divine of all creation, the divine that sits in this place which is beyond our, our imagination. And how do we understand who that person is, who God is? We look at Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? And for us, that becomes the place that we find hope. And Paul writes these words so that we can be ministers of reconciliation, right? And so um, he uses this word over and over again, reconcile. And so I, I thought for maybe like me, what's the definition of reconcile? So here's one of the definitions, right? To bring into agreement or harmony, right? To bring into agreement or harmony, or I love this one, to reconsecrate. And consecrate means to make holy or sacred. So to reconcile, to be put into harmony. So here is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is reconciling the world to God, bringing the world into right relationship with him, bringing all things into harmony, bringing peace where there seems to be no peace. This is what Jesus comes to do, this ministry of reconciliation, and you and I are invited into this same thing, to not only be reconciled to God, but to reconcile with others. And then these words, not counting men's sins against them, not counting our sins against us, not counting what we have done, right? If we're all honest, we can look at our lives and go, yeah, I probably haven't been that loving at times. And if you've been that so loving that you can't say that, then I would like to know you more. But Paul says, listen, all of us have fallen short of what God desires for us to be in right relationship with him. And so God, in his infinite love for us, is reconciling us to him. And not only is God reconciling us to him, but he's inviting us into relationship with him so that, as Paul writes, we become people who reconcile others. And so what? What's this mean for us? It's as if Jesus is saying to you and I, there is no place you can go, no thing you can do where my love will not pursue you. Not even death. The most horrific form of death you can come up with, the most horrific forms of sin you can ever name, are not enough to keep my love from you. I will keep pursuing you in the midst of those things. And so Paul's saying, listen, because of who Jesus is, you and I get to live in a new creation. We get to be part of God's new creation people. We get to be people who are reconciled to God, who then reconcile others to God. We get to be made holy, reconsecrated. here and now. To live as if heaven has come to earth. We're invited to a new reality. Right? Do you remember? Perception shapes reality. What is it that holds our perception? What perception are you and I seeing the world from? 
See, how we see the world has a radical impact on how we perceive what God is up to doing in the world. In fact, he uses this phrase, he says, we then become ambassadors, right? We're ambassadors of Christ. And so maybe um, if you're like me, you're like, so what is it exactly is the role of an ambassador? It's a good question. Maybe you didn't pay attention to history class or government or econ or whatever it would have been. I don't, I don't know, right? So an ambassador goes to a place that is not their home and they speak a language that is not their primary language, but also they learn to understand the people in which they live with and they then become people who bring the message from their homeland, right? That's roughly what an ambassador does. And so here's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth that he's saying probably to you and I as well. You are called to be Christ's ambassadors to bring his message of reconciliation to the world in which you live. But just as a reminder, the world is not your home. Heaven is coming to, you're to bring it here. You're to bring heaven. It's the new reality, the perception you're bringing to this space is that God has come and God is coming and Jesus is coming to reconcile the world, to redeem and to restore. And you and I are called, invited to see the world from a new perception. To be Christ's ambassadors, to see God's new creation all around us, to live as his ambassadors. And so what do, what do I mean by that? So I'll make it as simple as I know how. You and I, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are supposed to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life. That's it. Be an ambassador of God's new creation, of heaven coming to earth. In fact, um, in order for us to be ambassadors of Christ, though, we have to be new creations. We cannot be who we have been. But if you're remade by the work of God's Spirit, by the resurrection of Christ, by the sacrifice of our own self, saying, God, I don't want to be who I have been, but I want to know you. And so thinking about how we we sometimes drift from that. We kind of fall away from that. We don't live into that in very much way, ways that we want to. And so I was thinking about a story. It's an old story. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, Martin Luther used to tell this story. And um, on Easter Sunday, we, we do baptism, and, and they did the same thing. And so often, um, when you get baptized, you, you think, okay, I'm a whole new person. And you are. And by the way, if you want to get baptized on Easter, we'd love to have you get baptized on Easter. Talk to me or any of the pastoral staff, and we'll get you signed up. But Martha Luther would tell the story about how, you know, we'd go into the waters of baptism, we would die to the old way of life, and we'd rise new, and we'd become these new people. But for the, so many of us, we go, well, how come I didn't change every part of me? And so, like, if you, if you know the biblical kind of story, they use this picture of Adam, Adam from Genesis, and Jesus being the new Adam. So the first Adam sinned, the new Adam becomes what the first Adam should have been, right? That's this great picture in Bible, kind of theological perspective, and so Martin Luther's line was always this, yeah, and Adam dies, right? we go into the water of baptism, the problem is that old Adam, he's a pretty good swimmer. Sometimes we don't know, the old part of us doesn't die in the waters. He swims really well, but we're not sure what to do with that. And this is what Paul is saying, well, here's the great thing about who God is that our past can be so behind us that we really can become new creations, that when we come out of the waters of baptism, we can find that new life is what we're invited into. And then, and then, we live in such a way 
And we invite others to come to know Jesus. That's why literally the vision of our church is this, that we would connect people to people and people to Jesus. We want to connect people to people and people to Jesus because at the end of the day, we want to live as new creation people who, as Christ's ambassadors, who are reconciling the world, who are speaking words of reconciliation, whether that's in our homes or in our jobs or bigger than that, right? It's why we speak into injustice when we see it. It's why we are called to be God's ministers of reconciliation and we're to connect people to Jesus, but here's something I want to say, right? Uh, I have told the story numerous times about like street preachers in Chicago when we used to live in the area and, and how they annoyed me because, um, actually I heard a great story Matt shared with me. I'm, I'm going to share a story from Pastor Matt this morning, but, but he shared how he was in one city and someone threw a Bible at him and he caught it and he says, um, he says thanks, I've got one of these, but thank you. Right? Um, there were soft cover Bibles, which is good. I guess if you're going to throw a Bible, throw a soft covered one. Um, but how about you just don't throw Bibles at people? That's a better analogy. But anyway, we were talking about how people have this tendency to share like the words of Jesus in ways that are not helpful because they don't have a relationship with people, and so they're just basically yelling at someone. And so a better way to understand this was, uh, I, it was not my analogy, so I would love to steal it, but it's not mine. But he said, what if I told you it was like Shark Tank, right? And if you don't know what Shark Tank is, the show where, where investors buy a percentage of your company, right? And then they give you more capital so you can expand and make more money. And so you, you present your kind of goal to them, and they say, okay, I'll buy X amount of shares. Well, here's how it works. If, if someone buys, uh, here's an example, right? So you've heard of the company Tesla. If I owned one stock in Tesla, and I called Elon Musk and said, I want you to do this with your company, he's going to laugh at me and hang up, rightfully so. If I bought 51% of the shares of Tesla, which I cannot do, but if I could, and I did, and I called him and I said, I want you to do this, he'd go, okay, let's talk about it. Got more skin in the game. Right? Here's an example, right? If you come to me after church and you say, I hate your shirt, I'm going to say, I don't care. If my wife comes to me after church and says, I hate your shirt, I will have a shirt that's available if someone would like it. You get how this works, right? You enter into places where you already have a relationship and you tell people about Jesus who you already know, where you're invested in their life. If you have no investment in their life, they're going to treat you like the person who has one stock of Tesla or like you tell me you don't like my shirt. This is the reality of what God invites us into to be people who reconcile relationships, who speak words of hope where there seems to be no hope who remind people, hey, look, do you want to know who God is? Like, there's lots of bad pictures, but let me tell you a good picture of God. He comes to you as you are, where you are, and says, do you want to know how far my love will go that not even death itself can keep me from you? And so we're called to be these kinds of new creation people, to live in such a way that God's new creation might come. And I was thinking, um, I didn't plan this early in the week, but I was reading this last night, and I just wanted to share with you a brief excerpt from... Um, Brian Zahn's book is called When Everything's on Fire. He's kind of talking about the world in which we live. And so here's what he writes. Uh, he begins by quoting some words from Henry Now, and I'll let you know when they finish, but I just wanted to share these things with you. To live in the world without belonging to the world summarizes the essence of the spiritual life. The spiritual life keeps us aware that our true house is not the house of fear, in which the powers of hatred and violence rule, but the house of love, where God resides. 
Hardly a day passes in our lives without our experience of inner or outer fears, anxieties, apprehensions, and preoccupations. These dark powers have pervaded every part of our world to such a degree that we can never fully escape them. Still, it is possible not to belong to these powers, not to build our dwelling place among them, but to choose the house of love as our home. This choice is made not just once and for all, but by living a spiritual life, praying at all times, and thus breathing God's breath. Through the spiritual life, we gradually move from the house of fear to the house of love. And then Zahn adds this commentary to this quote. Today, everything seems to be on fire because of the fallen world we live in is marred by fear, hatred, and violence. We see it in fear-mongering politics that appeal to all that is worst in us. We see it in the ugly persistence of America's four centuries of white supremacist racism. We see it in the malignant gun culture and gun violence that terrorizes our land from Columbine to Sandy Hook to everywhere USA. We see it in the expressions of American Christianity that willingly embrace political policies that are unapologetically cruel and unkind in a time when everything is on fire with fear, hatred, and violence. The temptation is to fear the fear, hate the hate, and react with violence to the violence. It's easy to be seduced into thinking that our fear is warranted, our hate is righteous, and our violence is justified. This is the devil handing out cans of gasoline to the citizens of a city on fire. But as Henry Nouwen points out, The essence of the spiritual life is to live in a fallen world without belonging to it. To be holy is not so much to be good in a moralistic sense, but to be other. Conservatives shout, line up on the right, while progressives shout, line up on the left. Meanwhile, Jesus calls us to something other, something altogether different, something that cannot be plotted on the unimaginative left-right grid, The goal of the spiritual life is to live into that holy and transcendent other way of being. The pathologies that have sickened our society are often bred in the house of fear. The master of the house of fear is a cruel torturer. As the Apostle John says, fear hath torment. The occupants in the torturer's house of fear often become cruel people. And it really doesn't matter if the cruelty comes in the form of left-leaning or right-leaning ideology. In the house of fear, identity politics tend to push the adherents to the cruel edges. The solution is not moderation, but a new residence. Through a spiritual life, a grace-empowered life that transcends the world as it is, we gradually change our residence from the cruel house of fear to the peaceable house of love. It doesn't happen all at once. It's not as simple as walking an aisle or praying a sinner's prayer. It takes more than just making up your mind to be more loving. It's not easy, but it's possible. What if, what if our perception changed our reality? What if we began to see the world in a new way? What if we lived wholly other? What if we became God's new creation people in the midst of his new creation? What might happen what might happen if, if God's new creation becomes our perception 
it might just become our reality? What if God's new creation becomes our perception so that it might just become our reality? Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the way you love us, for the way you draw us near. May you help change our view and our vision so we might see the world as you see the world so we will not be defined by the things that drive us away from you. But we might be drawn in to love. That we might become your kingdom people in the world in which we live. That we might find ourselves so radically shaped by the message of the cross that it would reshape how we see the world. That we might be people that bring heaven to earth and how we live and we would not be shaped by the things of this world but we would be shaped by your love and your mercy and your grace. And in that way, we might be new creation people who invite other people to live as new creation, to be reconciled to you, that you might so make us new that the world would be radically transformed around us. And so, Father, we love you. And may we sing words of praise to you. And may we look and sound and be more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.